In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, Paul says, I discipline my body and make it my slave. You know, we often forget, guys, that God has called us to steward the bodies he gave us so that we'll be ready, healthy, and spiritually dangerous to fight the good fight, whether it's working at your job, serving your God, protecting your bride, or being a great dad to your kids. That's why we're so excited to partner with Mountain Tough Fitness Lab. Mountain Tough Fitness Lab is run by Christian men who are passionate about training you to be your best version and to stay dangerous and ready for God. Join me on my journey by going to mountaintough.com. That's M-T-N-T-O-U-G-H and getting your free six-week trial when you type in the code ARENA30. You won't be disappointed. Stay dangerous. Bruh, if I just do the work with my brothers, accountability with my brothers, daily devotion with my brother, it changes everything. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who was actually in the arena, whose face is marked by dust and sweat and blood. Welcome to the Men in the Arena podcast, where we interview specialists in the realm of manhood. Each of our guests is an expert in their chosen field or cause as it relates to men. Our conviction is to call you into the arena of manhood, call you out of the faceless, nameless bleachers, and call you up to be the best version of you. Because when a man gets it, everyone wins. Enjoy today's episode. Men in the Arena Army, we salute you. Hey guys, thanks for listening to another episode of the Men in the Arena podcast. I am Jim Ramos, and I am here with my brother from another mother. Producer Dale Culver, how you doing, man? I'm doing great, Jim. Hey, I'm doing good too, man. And I, I don't want to mess around here. I want to jump into this thing. I'm excited about our guest today. You know, guys, we like a plan. We want a target to shoot at. We want a goal to hit. We want a mountain to climb. And this guy has written a book that really walks guys through a four-quarter, four-step process. But what I really like about this book is the the quarters are about specific questions that guys can answer on this pathway to becoming their best version, as we would say, uh, Eric would say, on the, 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 the move to greatness. And so I'm excited to get guys on and hear about what's going on with this plan. I think it's going to really, really help guys today. But before that, do you have a man word, Dale? Yeah, we do. I do, Jim. It's Unleash. I wasn't going to let you choose it because uh, or guess because you would have not gotten there at all today. But No, because that actually Unleash. wasn't vanilla. It wasn't vanilla, man. This is no. I, I, th- I think because of some guys' insecurities, their fears they have, their past brokenness, or just plain laziness, some men stay back and they stay down and they don't get into this thing we call the arena of life. And I think guys need to look within themselves, and like the Bible says, they need to gird up their loins and they need to unleash their God-given potential on the world, their community, and their family. And that's all i got to say about that. Whoa, drop the mic, man. I think that was the most aggressive man word I've ever heard from you. So that was Damn. awesome. Well, I think that's true. You know, the Bible says in Hebrews 10.39 that we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but through faith are saved. And I think, and actually in this book that we're going to go over with Eric about, the author, he talks about fear. And I think fear is the great unspoken thing with men. They don't like to talk about fear. You never hear fear talked about in the locker room. It, you, it's, it's something that guys need to address because for a guy to become his best version, from a guy to move from good to great, 
he has to deal with this issue. So, hey, before we bring Eric on, do you have a review or hero story? Yeah, I have a review that I saw on podcast this morning. Uh, it says Colorado family. So after you hear this podcast, hit us up, and we want to send you some swag. And it says uh, he said that he looks forward to listening to the podcast a couple times a week. And first thing in the morning, he does his devotionals and listens to the newest episode. And every episode is relevant, convicting, and challenging. And it's not a joke to be a man. And then he says, it's not. So that was pretty awesome. So thank you, Colorado family. Well, man, really excited about that. And guys, send us your hero stories because you are the hero here, not us. We want to put Jesus on display, but he's asked you to be the hero in your story. And so we're excited about you stepping up and being the man God has called you to be. So I want to bring our guest on today. His name is Eric Bowles. He's 51 years old, lives in Lakewood, Washington, with his beautiful wife of 26 years, Cindy. Eric is the CEO and founder of The Game Changers, a noted global expert in talent development and peak performance. This is really cool stuff, guys. Eric's greatest impact is his focus on people, his perspectives on managing and leading change, transforming culture, and overcoming complacency are laced with practical tools and principles that can apply, be applied to a man's personal life. Eric's learned many principles on peak performance, team dynamics, and leadership from his experience as a wide receiver in the NFL, and he did that for four years with the Packers and, and I think, um, the Jets, and, he's, and, and I think one other team, and he'll, he can share that with you. Eric is the author of the book, Moving to Great, Unleashing Your Best in Life and Work, which is our focus on of today's episode. So it's my pleasure to bring on our new friend, Eric Bowles. Eric, how are you doing, man? Man, I'm doing fantastic, Jim. Thanks for having me. Hey, you know what? I just realized that in the subtitle, Unleashing Your Best Version, Dale did go vanilla. You, you picked a <laughs> word for the subtitle. Uh, you know, I knew the title of the book, but I forgot the subtitle. So, Dale, I got you, buddy. I got you. So, hey, hey, I want to thank you for the book. Thank you for coming on our show, Eric. And I just wanted to... Have you give our guys some context? In your book, you said this. You said, this is right after the NFL. I'll let you share your story. You said, quote, I was 23 years old, and I didn't have a clue who I was beyond my job description. I didn't know what I stood for. I didn't know what, what mattered to me. I had a lot to learn. Will you unpack uh, your story with our guys and, and walk a guy, the guys through that story so they get some context and perspective about your life? Uh, no question, no question. You know, I'm you know grew up in the state of Washington. Sports has always been important to me. I think it's important that I say right from the beginning. My father was a pastor, so oh. I grew up in church. I, I was in church. Uh, now, unfortunately, my brother, the church wasn't in me, but I was. <laughs> I, was I, I was in church, and so then I go off to college. Went to Central Washington University, small school, and uh, I had opportunity to play football there and. And, and, you know, I got a chance in a small college, but I was a big, big fish in a small pond, man. I, mm. I, I grew wide receiver, ended up being 6'3", 205 at a small school like that. So I ended up getting a lot of attention uh, for the opportunity to play in the NFL. And because I really didn't know what a real man was or, or, or it, it and all everyone I looked up to weren't believers, right? So oh. they weren't Christian. So I was... Whatever was popular, that's what I was doing. So I kind of lived the, uh, uh, if, if you call it the stereotype. Got to the NFL, 
it was in my second year. I got drafted by the Jets in the 11th round. They don't have that many rounds anymore. So, you <laughs> <back>. <laughs> right. so I got drafted to the Jets. Uh, in Going into my second year, I was in San Diego, California. And I was down there for, I was thinking I was down there to play some, man, just to play some charity basketball games, free trip to California. Then every evening, I was going to go out with my buddies there in L.A. But the group we were down there with was athletes in action, right? Ah, okay, mm-hmm. so you know, and I had I knew enough quotes from from the from Sunny School to be able to you know get a all expenses paid trip to California to go then kick it at night with my buddies. Something uh-huh. happened on that first day, Jim, which was I ran into I met a gentleman named Gil Bird. Also, I had a friend on the team with the Jets named Don Jones, who also was pretty influential. I had never seen no guy in the locker room who was a straight up believer, right? Like, and didn't apologize for being a Christian. And then in the NFL locker room, to make it real clear, a, a, a Christian man who also was bold about letting the whole world know he was also a virgin playing in the oh. national football league in the locker room and let people know that. So what happens is as I'm in uh, San Diego, uh, this, this, defensive back who was playing for the San Diego Chargers comes up to me. His name was Gilbert. Uh, and his name is Gilbert. Let me change that because he still disciples me to this day. And I call him Big Dog, even though he's, what, 5'9". Uh, <laughs> 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 but Gil would come to me, and Gil's first question to me when he saw me, actually the field was young guy. He said, he's, his first question to me was, who are you? And I said, uh, my name's Eric Bowles. And he said, I did not ask your name. I asked, who are you? And then I said, I'm a wide receiver for the New York Jets. He says, I did not ask your job description. I asked, who are you? I had never been so thrown off in my life because none of the answers I gave him was sufficient. And the bigger thing was I realized I didn't know the answer. Uh, And so when I went back to him later on, he he asked me the question again. I thought I could flip it on him and say, "Man, man, who are you? He said, man, I'm a bond servant of Jesus Christ, man. I I mean, he didn't talk about him being an all-pro for the charges. He didn't talk about his homes. He didn't talk about none of it. His identity was found in what he did. And so for me, it, 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 that was when I just even understood what a man of God was. Not just a Christian man, but a, re, a man of God, like you you call Minnell. And right after that, they was that evening. That being seeing Gil and seeing these other brothers who were there, actually, at the, and at the same time, Gil was there. Another person who was discipling me uh, and, and influenced me. Some of these names you know from ministry, but Miles McPherson was there. Oh yeah, uh, um, uh, it, it was just a number of guys. And in that moment, that day, I said yes to Jesus. That's when I got saved, April 29, nineteen ninety three. That was in my second year in the league. Wow. And uh, um, uh, long story between then and, and then, then and now, but. Got saved, uh, got disciple, ended up living with Gil in the off season. Uh, he decided I got to watch how he treated his wife Marilyn. I had to, I got a chance to see how he lived uh, as a godly man in his house. I got to watch that in person. Mm. And then as soon as I went back, uh, one of my, he's still my best friend to this day, but one of my brothers who I discipled, he got saved literally four months after I did. My boy oh, John Kidna. And so, oh, yeah. so, so, so me and Kidna, we've been walking together ever since, but every time Gil would teach me something, I'd go right back and tell John about it. Literally, that's how our lives have functioned. And, uh, um, uh, but answering that question about who I am, I, 
uh, was that question really changed my life. Well, you know, John Eldridge in his book, Killing Lions, and many, many others say that is the most important question to ask. And, I, and I'm not going to be a spoiler here, so I'm going to save that. I'm going to tuck it away till later. But what I'm going to do right now, Eric, I know you're a pressure guy, man. You like to, you know, you wide receivers are pressure guys. So I'm going to throw you into our rapid fire round. Okay, are you ready for this? Yeah, man? I'm, I'm going to throw some, throw some balls at you. Okay. These are going to be quick All right. slants. All right. Quick Let's slants. Go. Okay, here we go. I've pulled out some phrases from your book, and I just, I'm going to throw them at you, and I want you to explain to me, you know, what they are and why they're in the book, okay? And so this is easy. I mean, you wrote this stuff, so this is going to be easy for you. So the first, uh, first phrase, and I think this is really critical for us to understand your book, is simply called, I'm going to give you the initials, MTG. Moving great. Okay, talk to us about that. Okay, uh, moving and great is this. The key word is moving. It doesn't say standing for great, sitting around, waiting on great, contemplating great. It's actually moving to great. Why? Because, you know, even though there's greatness in us that needs to come out, uh, greatness is a continual thing. It's never stagnant. So what was great a year ago is no longer great today. Now that's average because expectations keep changing. Mm. And so one of the things we got to know, especially kingdom men, is godly men, is that the greatness that the Lord has placed in us never runs out. Like it doesn't run out. We just we just tap into new levels. But for the greatness to come out, it has to be challenged. I talk about potential all the time, but it has to be challenged. And the reason we say moving to great is what was great a year ago may not be a great this year. And the target sometimes moves, so you got to adjust with it. And 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 that's why the uh, the that that title is so significant because it, it, it gives the indication that it's continuously progressive. Uh, as the scripture tells us, line upon line, precept upon precept, we grow and grow and grow. Faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of God. It didn't say hear the word of God. It said hearing. So it's continual. That's really fun. We just finished a book called Strong Men, Dangerous Times, and we've defined manhood as five things. And there's a verb and then an, uh, the, 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 you know, there's a, the verb is always progressive present protecting integrity, fighting apathy, pursuing God, because the same thing, this is always moving forward. And you're a football guy, and so you know how hard it is for teams to repeat an NFL championship Super Bowl the second year because the, what made them great the year before is not what, what do they call that, the Super Bowl hangover? That's right. You know, so, so I love, I love the, that you, and I don't know if I read that in your book, what you just said, that greatness is Never static. That is so good. So good. So I'm going to throw another uh, three initials at you. And I'm not sure if, I think you have these initials in your book. If not, I'll just read you the phrase. But SLM. Yes. Yes. SLM is what, what we call, what I call significant learning moments. Yes. And the reason why that's so important, there's significant learning moments and also significant life events. Uh, so when I talk about significant life events, we usually, people change from significant life events, hopefully, uh, but the price of that change is usually pretty darn expensive, man. The yes. tuition cost for that. Significant learning moments are all the moments that happen to us that we can learn from. I, I believe the Bible itself, reading the Bible, daily devotion is a significant learning moment. Because God gets our attention. He don't have to scream at us. It's right there in his word. But if mm -hmm. I ignore that, then God will use events to get me to the same place. But many times significant life events, especially the negative ones, are a result of ignored significant learning moments. 
Oh, so wow. my wife telling me every single day, honey, we need to spend time, honey, we need to connect. And I ignore her because I need to get to the driving range, watch the game. Now, all of a sudden, she's threatening to leave. Oh, now I'm paying attention, man. Uh -huh. I, so that significant life event was just ignored significant learning moments. I believe, man, that we talk about momentum all the time, especially as, uh, as, as great coaches. I always say great leaders, great coaches. Momentum's your best friend. Well, to create momentum, momentum is a result of a moment after a moment after a moment. If you can put enough moments together, then you got momentum. So that shows you how significant a moment can be. And so it's, it's a real chance to call it a significant learning moment because there's so much learning in every moment if we just pay attention to it. Now, that's good. At the back of your book, you quote John Maxwell. And I'm thinking of a Maxwell quote here from his book, The 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership. He says, momentum, one of the laws is momentum, and he calls it the great exaggerator. And I think that's powerful. So so my third one was defining uh, or significant life events, but you covered that. Would you say a significant life event is synonymous with a defining moment, or is there a difference between the two? Uh, no, I, I would say, you know, I would say here's the difference. There's, there's defining moments all the time as long as we actually act on them. The yes, yes. So a significant life event is usually, you know, it's, it is the outcome. It is something like, for instance, you know, significant, just to give one of those examples, significant learning moments are me paying attention with observation. All it costs, you know, because significant learning moments, the only investment really necessary is your attention. Ah, okay. That, that's yes. all that. It, it costs you your attention because I like to say attention is currency. So when you pay attention, there's a reason we call pay, we say paying attention because it's a, it's a cost to it. But if oh. I can invest my attention properly, then I can get a return on that moment or that defining moment, right? A significant life event is usually the result of maybe not paying attention. So if I would pay attention to all my family members, I got a whole bunch of family members who have uh, diabetes. That's It's not new information. It's not a shocker. It's a lot of people in my family who have it. But I ignore it for the whole time. Now, all of a sudden, I have to be on dialysis or I have to have one of my... Now, I want to change all I'm doing because I will then turn around and say, man, that doctor's appointment was a significant life event when I found out I have this. Uh -huh. No, man, it's significant, true, but it's really expensive. You had all those other opportunities to learn from if you would have just went through it properly. So those are the kind of, uh, uh, you know, if there was a difference, that's how I would describe a defining moment. We have a bunch of those if we pay attention to it. But the significant life event is usually the actual experience itself. Oh, man, I appreciate the clarification there. So in your book, you have another phrase, and I, I thought this was critical before we jump into the interview questions. Easier does not equate to better. Yes. So I learned this actually from uh, a gentleman when I was actually in Europe. He had this short, make a long story short. His name was Marcus. He was actually from Somalia. And he had told me his whole experience when I was talking about unleashing potential. And he grew up there in Somalia, very difficult uh, upbringing and everything, but he ended up through all his difficulty of growing up, graduated from Cal, got his MBA from Stanford, um, uh, was a managing director at a Fortune 50 company who I was doing work with at the time. And he comes up to me so fired up about what I was talking about. And he was telling me about a concern he had. And I couldn't understand after this great his, the evidence of his, you know, what he's been able to accomplish in his life. And his wife's story was almost the same. 
And I said, man, you know, I'm confused. What, why, what are you worried about? He says, I'm worried about my kids. I said, why are you worried about your kids? He says, I said, man, they're going to have it so much easier because of what you've done. He says, that's my concern. Yep. Easier is just easier. Easier doesn't mean better. The obstacles my wife and I had to overcome, it brought the greatness out of us. What obstacles are we going to be able to ensure our kids have? So they have to overcome to be able to bring the greatness out of them. That was the game changer for me, especially from a parenting standpoint. I've worked so hard to remove obstacles out of the way of my daughters that in many cases I was hindering their very growth. Doesn't mean I don't help, but I can't do all these things for them. They need to feel the weight of decision making, the weight of responsibility, the weight. that That's the stuff that actually brings their greatness out. Well, and that's part of the problem with our generation and our invention of the participation trophy is we've removed obstacles out of our kids' lives. We've become bulldozer dads and helicopter parents. Our generation is responsible for that. And so as parents, we have to say, no, easier is not better. We have to maybe sometimes, well, in your story and mine, difficult was better. You know, it's a significant life event and so super good hey i want to move into your uh, book deeply here because you have four principles i really want to dive into again the book's titled moving to great unleashing your best life and work and our part of our vision as men in the arena is helping men become their best version so we're very similar here and i i feel like this book this book was written that seemed like to a secular business audience and so you are you as a follower of jesus i'm going to unleash you on our guys I mean, the full force. I mean, you don't have to, you know, hold anything back here. So I'm super excited about this interview. And I, one thing I want to ask you, man, is so the book is broken into roughly four principles. You call them quarters. Are, are these quarters in the sense of, you know, zero to 25-year-old, 26 to 50? Or are these quarters as in, hey, these four things you need to do in sequential order? How did you break that down? No, it's, it's, I, I would change it. I would say it this more. It's more cyclical. Oh, oh, yes. It's cyclical because we go through this at every different season, every different stage. You know, where I was at, at at when when, uh, I used these four principles at 30 years old, that was one thing. I was 30 years old with, you know, a wife pregnant. My oldest daughter was four. My youngest daughter was just being born. Uh, I'm in that transition stage, but I'm still having to redefine for myself. Who am I now? Right. Like I know the foundation as a believer. I know I am a Christian, but actually who I am as a Christian man, what does that look like? Who am I? Then I got to go from who am I? Then I got to in the, that, that second quarter goes into how did I get here? That third quarter goes into, you know, uh, where do I want to go now? And the fourth one is how do I get there? And the reason why I say it's cyclical is we all know what, especially as men, this is what we got to understand. Like once you get there, there's really no there because anytime you get there, right? Like it's dangerous to get there. I mean, look, I always, my, my mentor used to tell me all the time, he goes, hey man, be careful. You know, we're made to, men are made to be in the arena. We're made for the fight. We're made for continue. It's dangerous to get to a there and then settle. It's, it's the reason David got in trouble. David was fighting wars. You go back home with nothing to do, man, all you're doing is setting yourself for problems, right? For sure. <laughs> well, that's what that, that's the kiss of death. It says in uh, I think it was First Samuel when uh, maybe chapter eleven when the kings went off to war. David, 
Just woke up from his nap. And Come so, on. you know, Philippians 1, 6 says, I'm confident this very thing that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. So this is important. You made a comment. I want to, two things I want to say. First of all, you guys listening, our arena men, this is cyclical. That is a key phrase. In fact, when you read Eric's book, everything, all the quarters are in a circle. So it is cyclical. It is not linear. Very, very important to understand. The second thing is this, Eric, when you were first asked, uh, who are you? And you couldn't seem to get that right. I think one of the things I've seen with Christian men, and I think you just hit it on the head, is that Christian men go through this generic thing. I am beloved. I am a son of God. I am a fall. You know, that all of these things, they're generic things, these I am statements as a believer, but they miss the specifics of who God made them out as a unique creation. And I want to dive headlong into this. So your first quarter, your first quarter. So guys, remember the first part of the cycle, you ask guys to ask a question. I think it's the most important question in life. I've been saying this for years. So when I read this in your book, I thought, yeah, Eric, woo. Yeah. So Tell us, Eric, what is the most important question that guys need to answer in the first question in the first quarter, and what does this mean? Mm. One of the, the the questions I asked was like, and it was a tough one, but who am I? Like yeah. I literally asked the question, "Who am I?" And I started writing characteristics. I wasn't just talking about roles, right? Like I was just, "Who am I?" Like you know, yeah. what drives me? Like like. What moves me? I even would take it even deeper at times where, you know, I write all these answers of, uh, 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 you know, who, who I am, some of my values, what I'm, what, who I believe I'm about, good and bad, all, all the different things. I ask if there was areas of my life that I would like to change, what would I do? Uh, you know, what am I proud of? What characteristics do I have that, you know, I want my kids to have? Uh, but I wanted to be as authentic and honest as possible because some things that I can look at, like, for instance, there's a part of me that uh, where I would write down and say, man, I'm impatient. But if I look at it really closely, yeah, I'm impatient. But what I also have is a sense of urgency. And man, guess what? Real men need to have some sense of urgency. Like yep. too many of us are sitting back just watching stuff happen. So that being directed properly, man, what could God do with that? And so when I would ask these kind of questions, I, I ask questions like, man, what makes me laugh? Man, what breaks my heart? Like any questions that start asking, that help me, you know, I always like to say, you know, we, we're looking for answers, but what we need to be looking for is the right questions. What are questions that cause you to answer more so you become more aware of yourself? And so when I talk about that whole section of who am I, man, I'm, I'm figuring that out because I know when I can identify who I am, I'm, I'm also looking at what parts of me need to change and what parts of me don't need to change. I'm also thinking about what am I capable of in that section also deal with my potential and what God's placed in me and that I'm discovering consistently. And many times I don't discover what else is in me until certain pressure impacts me. I was like the, the greatness that's in me, the potential in me is like muscle in the body. Like, we all got plenty of muscle, but you won't discover how strong you are until you go through some resistance. Like you're going to have to push some weight up and sitting back, just trying to contemplate in deep thought the whole time. That ain't enough, too. That's why I love, the, the, you know, the, this podcast, Men in the Arena. Man, sometimes you got to get on the field to find out what you can do, man. You got to play. You can't just stay in the locker room. You can't stay in the ground. I, I say all the time for a lot of coaches who even coach now, I was like, man, we've created a bunch of ball players that are great at drills, 
They are great at drills, man. They are great when everything is perfect. But things get out of system, when they have to figure it out, make plays, they're struggling with it. I mean, in all these various sports, and I think as men many times, that's the same thing. We want this perfectly uh, cookie-cutter formula. Man, in your marriage, when you follow the script in the book and your wife still don't respond in the way that it looked like the book did, bro, yeah. welcome to the arena. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, and that's, and that's the, you know, that's the thing. We were talking about this just yesterday on a podcast. You know, I, I'm a, I'm not a, I'm not a Patriots fan. I'm not necessarily a Tom Brady fan. Yeah, I got you. But, but I think everybody in the world would say he's the greatest quarterback of all time. Why? His ability to call the audible. I mean, he could get up on the line. He could read the coverage, call the right play. And, you know, over and over again, he had guys that I would not say are top-level players performing at a higher level because he knew the play to call. And that's what manhood is, right? That's it. That's it. Oh, that's good. Well, you talked about potential. And, and you, have, you wrote this in your book. And, and I thought this was really, really powerful, man. You said you define potential. And you said it's everything I can be but have not yet become everything I do, but have not yet done. Do you want to add to that? Yeah. Yeah. It is potential has no retirement plan. Like it, oh. it does, it, 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 it doesn't end. And see, this is why even as men, man, my, my father passed away at 91. He, he was pastor of this great church for years before he retired at age 90. My father bought a little building in Tennessee. Now, keep in mind, his his church had thousands in, in, in Tacoma, Washington. He retires, goes down to Tennessee. My father's 90 years old. And I'm like, Pop, where are you going? My father got bought a little building and started a church at 90. Not for him to preach, but local little ministers who don't get a chance to preach. to preach. But it, That was such a great example to me of. Man, a preacher is who he is. A pastor is who he is. Just because he 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 retired from thing, he retired from one thing, but he retired still to purpose, and it kept him going. I mean, he will wake up. I I, I find a pop where you at? Oh, I'm down here at the office at the church. Man, he was just him with the TV on, but it didn't matter. I mean, he still <laughs> felt that purpose. It's it's you know if I go into basketball, it's Coach Larry Brown finding out he's coaching at a high school. I mean, seriously. Because that's who they are. And so yeah. as we, as men, uh, go through, uh, when it comes to potential, it's everything that I can be, but I have not yet become. Uh, everything I can do, I have not yet done. It just means everything in us is continual. There's another level. Anytime I run into a man who's just, who's bored, it's the most dangerous thing in the world. I was like, man, there yeah. is so much to becoming that there's no excuse for us to be bored. Man, we're going to be in heaven forever. Why? Because every time we look at God, we're going to see something we didn't see before. Think about that, man. And so that's what's been placed in us. And so it's our calling, man, to continuously realize there's more to me than I've even seen yet. And so I got to make sure I'm continuously pursuing that to make sure that comes out. Man, you know, it's funny you said that. You said something that you flew over it because it's so natural for you. But I'm going to go back to it. You, in your book, you mentioned this. It was really impactful for me that we are not human beings. We are human becomings. And, and going back to your first question, Eric, you know, asking the question. And guys, you need to stop and you need to answer this question. You know, Rick Warren in his uh, wildly famous book, The Purpose Driven Life, has uh, the shape, spiritual gifts, heart, abilities, personality experiences. But under heart, 
He says, what, what are the things that you're passionate about? And then uh, Eldridge says the question to ask when understanding who we are is, what are the things that make me come alive? <laughs> so guys, sit down with a piece of paper and write this stuff down. It's, it's not actionable if you don't write it down. So man, write it down. So your book, so in, in this same chapter, uh, you talk about something that guys don't want to talk about. And I think a lot of us, I, you know, you heard this with coaches all the time, Eric, leave it all on the field. Yeah. Leave it all on the field. You know, the scary thing in life is for us to die, cross over into heaven and to recognize that we left something on the field. We that we did that we died with potential in us, that we didn't leave it on the field. And I think one of the things that hinders us um, is fear. In your book, you said fear puts a ceiling on your potential and limits what you are capable of doing. Will you address this uh, topic that men are afraid to ad- address? Fear. Yeah, yeah. So first thing, fear, you got to know what it is. Fear is an emotion. It's an anticipation of danger. It causes us to get hesitant. And we do know if we're just as godly men, listen, fellas, you know, fear, it doesn't mean we don't have it. It's just you got to know that, as it says in Scripture, he did not give us a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. And and, 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 and many times for, for men, it's the fear. It's not failure that gets in our way. It's the fear of failure. It's not rejection that gets in our way. It's the fear of rejection. It's not uncertainty that stops us. It's the fear of uncertainty. Almost every one of these things, what stops us is fear. I was talking to a gentleman who I executive coached this morning, and he told me it was so good. And now keep in mind, this dude is a, you know, he's an, a CEO for, a, you know, an amazing insurance company. What they've been able to do is incredible, all this stuff. But he sat there and he says, Eric, Every single time, like I, it's amazing to me how many things I won't do or won't lean into. Now, if I'm forced there, if I really am, if I'm really honest, I find a way to do it. I find a way to make it happen. I said, exactly. And this reminds me, do you know, man, the devil's, the enemy's greatest tool that he uses with us is fear because fear has a tendency to exaggerate, right? And, and, and if it can exaggerate how we feel about something before we enter it, we hesitate. We won't go through it. And this is why, like, when I, especially if we talk about men in the arena or just football in general, there's times we got to run through that wedge of fear. We got to run through what's in front of it. Because if we can get to the other side, we, we're going to be able to come through once we're there. But if I fear getting on the arena floor in the first place because of my own mind and, and anxiousness, and what if I fail? What if I do it? And... My mentor, you say all the time, man, he goes, Eric, if at first you don't succeed, man, join the crowd. Brother, you better get out <laughs> of the field. Right? Like, go do it. Uh, and, and, and how does it manifest? Just real talk. There's no way the potential of my marriage, the potential for sinning and I, to, uh, just to, what God has planned for us, we will never get there if I continue to allow my fear of failure, or fear of rejection, fear of her being dissatisfied with something I do, Hold me back. There's no getting around it. I yep. have to go through that to get to first of all to learn, and second of all, just to you know, almost everything we want is always just outside of our comfort zone, ain't it? Right? Like yep. God is not going to allow me to remain comfortable here when I have to trust Him to get there. And usually, where we got to trust Him is through this stage of fear. Like that's just I always like to say, man, that's price of admission. 
You know, I wonder, I wonder, Eric, if God even lives in the comfort zone. I just don't. I'm not sure he even lives in that realm. Well, my, so you quoted a guy in your book, Miles Monroe, and he said the greatest. This is powerful, man. I love, I love uh, leadership books because they have so many great quotes. Yeah. And yours has so many great quotes. The greatest tragedy in life is not death, but a life that never realized its full potential. And you talk about the elephant. You talk about the eagle. I love it. I, I just really think it's so powerful. So I, I really do appreciate this. And I want to read a quote out of your book. And I'm going to move to the second quarter here. Uh, but I want to read a quote. I'm just going to let it hang there. I'm not going to ask you a question. I'm just going to let you respond to the quote. Okay? Here's the quote. If someone observed your life for the past six months, how would you spend your, how you spent your time and money and how you related to others, what would that person say your top five values are? This is where the rubber meets the road. We can shout our values to the world, but the world can't hear us because our actions are so loud. Mm. Mm. Go ahead. I'll let you respond. Bruh, this, that question right there is probably the most impactful question that I even ask when I'm doing leadership oh, really? conferences, meetings. It does not matter. Because yep. the hardest part with being authentic or truly being honest is being honest with ourselves. And I believe this wholeheartedly. Man, we have a tendency to completely overestimate how our performance and we have a tendency to underestimate what we're capable of doing right mm. but the only way to truly get better is we got to be honest and you know fellas we just got we got to reject posing as, as men we are some of the greatest posers ever and so if i had to sit back and you know ask the question of myself man if Without asking me, if somebody just observed where I spent my time, where I spent my money, as they say, look, look at my, look at my calendar, look at my billfold, it'll tell you a lot. And then ask, and then watch, and then, uh, you know, observe me when I don't think anybody's looking. What would they say I actually value? And this was so big because if you ask me what my top five values are, if you ask most men what their top five values are, most of the answers just sound good in public, right? Like, but if you actually had to put evidence to their Time and their money, the two most valuable resources they have, and one is the most valuable, which is time. You don't get more of it. Yeah. How how do, are those things actually invested in? Are those values actually invested in? And what I have to ask myself that repeatedly as a speaker, as somebody who's on stage and I get to tell all these stories, man, one of the most the, the biggest truths here for me is when my wife and my girls are in the audience. <laughs> Well, what is John Ma John Maxwell says? Success in life is for those who love you the most, who know you the mo best, to respect you the most. Yeah, come on. And you know what's what's funny, Eric, in your book, and I'm not going to tell it, but in the book you actually had your family review your top five values, and what they said was not what you hoped. <laughs> Bro, it, I would have I would have been, been grateful, Jim, if they just <laughs> I would be grateful if they just had them in the wrong order. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Oh man, hey, hey, we're I gotta I want to press into this guy. I'm gonna run out of time here because I love this is a really a great interview. Let's move to the second quarter. First quarter, answer the question, "Who am I?" Second quarter, you have another question, and I I, I think that you asked this when you were a janitor after yeah. the NFL. So th what's the second question, and why is this so critical in moving to great? Yeah, because one of the things I, I had to ask questions: How did I get here? 
Now, we're, we're in, in, in a, it needs to be an honest question too. And, and the reason you ask, how do you, how did I get here? And when I started thinking about myself personally, accepting and owning responsibility, right? And so that's that, that's a that's a that's a big one. But also the reason I asked myself, how did I get here? It gives me a chance to also understand my mind, my thinking. It's a chance to really lean into my attitude and, and realizing that, man, there's a reason. Like there's a lot of goals and aspirations all of us have and we want to go for it. We want what God has for us. But man, the scriptures is very true. It, this, when the scripture says, do not be conformed, to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. And the scripture goes on to say in Romans 12 that, that it's very clear that until then, it says, then you will discover God's perfect plan for you. Because my old mind is incongruent with what God wants to do with me. So I yep. had to understand that wherever I was sweeping, I went from playing NFL to being a janitor, bro. Like, uh, you know, going from a draft party with friends coming back home and everybody ain't meeting me at the airport when I'm coming back, right? Now I'm cut, right? That change. The question is, how did I get here? I couldn't blame coaches. I couldn't blame this. I couldn't blame that. The problem was my talent or my capability exceeded my confidence and my belief. And so I was dressed up as a New York Jet. I was dressed up as a Green Bay Packer, but I did not see myself actually successfully being there. I was caught up in the trappings, but I didn't have the confidence to match it. Man, we can look at scripture all day long. That's exactly the story of the Israelites. This is not a, yes. that's why that story is so powerful. That's a human story. That's a man's story, literally is. God delivered us, gets us to a certain point. But the minute you cross the Jordan River, it went from, this is what I'm doing for you, to now God's like, I've equipped you, now you're responsible. And I tell every man, man, the definition of manhood is responsibility. And God has placed everything in us to be responsible. And so there is something, I was like, God, why did you let this happen? God's like, you are asking the wrong question. Yeah. And man, and, and, but that was, I had to work through that process. So I had to understand how my mind works. I had to understand how, how, how attitudes worked. I had to understand how powerful my own words, when the Bible says the power of life and death are in the tongue, I started to think about, man, how do I describe me? How do I talk about me? How do I talk about opportunities? How do I even talk about people? Like I had to learn how to even turn this around. Man, I had to start getting better at blessing people who done well instead of looking for reasons or justifications why they did and I didn't. Man, I didn't realize how much of the victimization blame game I was living. Because here's what I understood. If I can cry, whine, and complain, and God is moved by that, then I should have been way more successful by now than that. Okay? So clearly, <laughs> clearly, whining, complaining, and blaming didn't change God at all. Well, and the other thing is, if you can whine your complaint away, then let's we should probably choose a different God to believe in. <laughs> Come on, man. Right? Because do you really want to serve a God who's going to answer whining and complaining? No, you want to have a God that's going to answer the prayers of a passionate man Ooh. who's driven and who's cra call out on your brokenness, but don't call out and whine about it. I, so I, I think this is important. You said that the guys, there are a lot of guys out there that have a victim mentality. Okay? And so... When we try to overcome that, you said, Guy, you just said this. You're asking the wrong question. So I'm going to read a statement for your book, and I, want, and I want you to respond to this statement. In your book, you said this. And this is a truth, guts, 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 you know, a gut check. 
What you are experiencing right now in your life is the result of the seeds, good or bad, that you have planted in the past. Come on. If you want change to change your experience, you need to plant something new in your subconscious mind. Powerful, powerful words. Why don't you unpack those for us, Eric? Yeah, so basically what I'm saying is, man, the Bible's already perfectly clear about it, man. We have been called, this is why when the scripture says, uh, 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 how, how do you grow your faith? By hearing and hearing the word of God. Brother, I need every scripture out of the word. I need that truth to displace all that nonsense that's in my head right now. Everything yeah, I'm yes. experiencing my life in my life is a result of what was already in there. Now we we get that in any of the area, but man, isn't it funny? I, I, I heard this from a mentor. He used to say, "He goes, man, maturity is always at harvest time, because once harvest shows up, brother, you don't get to complain in sowing season what you didn't what you didn't sow in planting season." And he goes, "And and when it comes to success, when it comes to." Even what the scriptures talk about. It was like, dude, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. The scripture's perfectly clear. I mean, it covers across the board how important getting your mind, meditating on the right things. I mean, what did he tell Joshua? Joshua, you weren't going to do these great things. You better meditate on my word day and night. Don't turn to the right. Don't turn to the left. I'm, I'm still trying to figure out how you can... Uh, eat nonsense and junk and garbage and be caught up in everything else the world works and then expect greatness. Man, one thing God made clear to me, but my mentors reinforced it, but God will say it over and over. And Gil used to say this all the time. He goes, man, you're looking for godly blessings using the devil's tools. Brother, you can't function like that. It don't work. And sometimes we ain't told the truth enough. As men, sometimes people just don't tell us the truth. Brother, yes. that's why I love sports so much, Jim. It's like, Dude, the scoreboard don't lie. Like, like the, the scoreboard does not care how close you got to the goal line. It doesn't yes. care. You better cross it. <laughs> if you want it to change, cross it. If I want change in my life, I'm going to have to change what I'm thinking about, what I meditate on, what I pray about. Brother, I, I and, and that's just real talk, right? That's just real talk. No, I appreciate that. You know, it's funny. I, when I got you on the show here, I went and added you as a friend on Facebook, looked at your family, and I'm like, man, here's a guy who's fit, he's got a wife who radiates love, for his, that she loves him, two beautiful daughters, one's I know a volleyball player in college somewhere, but, but it hit me, you know, Father's Day just came and went, and I was able to reap the benefits of good fathering, and I'm sure you were, but some, some of these guys out here didn't. Yep. And, I, and, I, and as you were speaking, I was reminded of a verse, and the verse is Galatians 6, 7, 8. Do not, be, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Those to please the flesh reap from the flesh. And those to please the sinful nature, uh, uh, I, gosh, I hacked the verse to pieces, yeah. but you get the point. And so I think this is important for guys. We have to honestly assess why I am here in this place right now. And once we can do that, honestly, honestly, we can move to the third quarter. And the third question. So do you want to tell us what that third question is and what it means? Yeah, that third question is, okay, now that I've decided, where do I want to go? So where do I want to go? At some point, you got to sit there and go, okay, man. Like you were just using an example about Father's Day. And Jim, I ain't going to lie, it was a blessing. But I got really close buddies that I've had some real conversations that spent Father's Day by themselves. Oh, yes. Brother, yeah. you know, watching their kids celebrate Father's Day with a different daddy. 
watching the different or, or, or not wanting to bother with it at all or all those kind of things. Here's what I uh, here's what I know. They had to also come to the conclusion of their responsibility. But then they said, what, yeah. what does better look like? Where do I want to go? And once you determine where you want to go, now it's about about time is now that I want to go to that location, that destination, get to that place. Dude, I got to get clear about that goal. I got to clear, get clear about what it's going to there's going to be a price to pay for. Jesus yes. even said count the cost. But yep. man, the price is worth being paid. But I know this much. A, a, a big accomplishment or, or, or families that I turned around or a father who's able to, uh, like the scripture says, the father's heart back towards his children and stop excusing or justifying because of the mother or the, because of somebody else or whatever, as if the kids chose to be here, right? Like, like, like that whole dynamic. Watch him. I got a brother of mine that I just value so much. Watching his pursuit. He was a great athlete. And I knew how hard he worked to achieve his goals. And for him to look at me one time, and it was the greatest line he ever said. He said, man, if I can put that many hours and that much work into achieving an athletic goal that nobody would care about the next day after I reach it, can I not put that same level of effort that is then anointed by God because I pray over it to restore my family. Man, come on now. To restore my family. Man, that, bro, now, whatever that is, you may not need your family restored. You may not need whoever I'm talking to. But can you, there are things that we put effort into with so little real practical return. Man, when I think about the amount of thought I give to improving my golf game, real talk. (laughs) (laughs) If I could just give a quarter of that to that level of passion and commitment to some things that really count, man, let's see what God does with that level of commitment. Well, and Eric, you hit the nail on the head, man, because, you know, what is it going to say on our our gravestone? You know, your, your kids and your wife, do not care. Those who love you the most, those who are at your bedside as you die, are not going to care about your handicap. They're not going to care about how many yards per catch you had. They're not going to care about how many homes you owned. All they're going to care about was, was this guy in my life? Your legacy is those people there when you cross into eternity. And that's, and you know, Malachi 4, in Malachi 4, I think it's 6 through 8, you know, God says he came to restore the hearts of fathers and their children. And That's so that right. God is about that. So, you know, the guys who are listening right now who celebrated a lonely Father's Day, hey, God can turn that around, man. He can turn that around. But here's what happens, guys. You need to see the big picture. And I think when guys see the big picture and when a, we have a phrase, Eric, when a man gets it, everyone wins. And I want to read, I want to read a quote for you from your book. So I'm going to quote you again. You said, This is important with step three, answering the question, you know, where am I going, right? Or where do I want to go? You said this, quote, to improve an action or decision, you must first expand your awareness, expose yourself to new experiences and information because you might not have the whole 
story about yourself and the world around you. And I love how you draw this picture for a man because we, we for a guy to see the big picture of his life. And I love, so will you walk us through this concept of awareness, self-awareness? Yes, yes. So, so our awareness is a continual state of flux. And many times the best way to expand our awareness is to be exposed. And as men, one of the best things we can do. Now, fellas, this is real talk right now. My father used to say, son, if you are consistently the smartest person in a room, son, I'm going to tell you right now, you in trouble. <laughs> Find another room. <laughs> right. But here's what I learned, man. If I want to really be a better husband, great husband, man, I'm going to have to be around some great husbands. I got some great friends, but I wouldn't say they were all great husbands. Man, I had to be around some men who can teach me something, man. Just show me yeah. something. I got to get comfortable being exposed that there's more possibilities. So, uh, so one of the things that uh, uh, around this thing, around awareness, is, you know, like we were talking a little earlier, just staying on the topic of being a father. Man, I was very fortunate. When I, I, would, I would give a, a, a real general answer, like, man, I want to be a great father. I want to have a great family. And then my, one of my mentors would say, then you need to go for that. You need to be specific in that. You need to make yes. it, you need to write the vision down and make it plain. And I was like, okay. He says, and the reason is there's always steps, but also there's a price to that. There's a cost. And the, the, and the way you get there is going to be more about changing than you. And so I was like, so I got to write down some goals, man. It's hard to think of individual goals. He was like, dude, I didn't say your goal. I said, you need to have a picture of the future. And your picture doesn't have to be a self-portrait. He says, too often men write goals that are all about us. No, man, write a vision, your goal, that includes the benefits to your family, the benefits to others, because it gives you the very drive you need. Man, if I go after a goal that's just for me, the minute it gets hard, I may not want it enough. But man, when I think about my girls, when I think about my wife, when I think about all of those around me who are being impacted, man, us men, we always want to be part of something great. And the greatest thing you can do is be part of something bigger than yourself. The Bible talks about greatness as being a servant, man. So I got to learn how to be a servant warrior. And so even in my goal setting, I always have to incorporate other people. And the minute I start doing it, my awareness expands. I see, I start seeing things in people around me that I didn't see before. The Bible always said, we have everything we need for righteousness. We, uh, the Bible says, I already said, we can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens us. We have everything we need. We just got to be willing to go all in in that direction. And we don't, man. Well, I go all in, like uh, 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 great Tony Dungeon used to say it best. He goes, man, everybody loves the game. Like, everybody loves the big event, right? So in the NFL, we say all the time, man, in the NFL, man, we, we play for free. We get paid to practice, right? Because nobody wants to do the practice, right? And yeah, so yeah. if I want these changes in my life, if I want to see things, what I need, the reason I lock onto these visions and goals is what I need to go through the practice part. It's the practice that I need to keep motivated for. I'm going to be fired up for the game. But am I fired up for the practice? You know, like my wife, I mean, I keep it real, man. Look, I, there are certain things I'm willing to do if I know what the reward is. <laughs> right? But man, All of if us. If it's just the grind, like you just, I'm just going to serve just because it's the right thing to do. I'm like, man, that's, that's real work. <laughs> Well, what you're saying, yeah, I've dangle the carrot, honey, dangle the carrot. So what, what, so what I hear you saying 
is in the third quarter, we're answering this question, where do I want to go? And, and this awareness, you know, it, everybody wants to win the Super Bowl. Everybody wants to, you know, people, there's always a million people out there telling us what we need to do. But a goal tells us and shows us how to get there. So once we have a goal, it increases our awareness of the big picture, which gives us a tool to get us to where we're going. And I think that's really important, man. So, so good. So good. Thank you for that. So I want to move into the fourth quarter and we're running out of time here. And so I want to make sure we finish the game strong. So the fourth quarter, you you ask a certain question in the fourth quarter. And I love this question. And you said uh, in, the, in your book, you said, quote, you must realize that in order to reach your end goal, you have to experience some uncertainty, failure, and rejection. They aren't things you can avoid on your journey, but you can overcome the fear of them. And so walk us through this fourth quarter question. Okay, so the fourth quarter question is, okay, how do I get there? And that's really putting your plan of action into action. Like yes. It's called a plan of action. It's not a plan of contemplation, right? So I've been through it all. I got my goal clear. Uh, clear. The way I like to talk about clarity, my goal is clear this way, if I can say this real quickly, Jim. Your, yeah. your goal is clear when you know what it is you want and why you want it. Yes. You have a plan of how you're going to go get it. You're aware of the benefits, but you've also contemplated the cost of inaction. Now, that phrase right there is important. What will it cost my family if I don't make this change? What will it cost, uh, not just me and other, if I don't? Now, the biggest part of those five points I just made is the one that says how in the plan of action. Because that we need a game plan. But here's what you all got to keep in mind. I'm going to be dogmatic on, my, uh, on the vision I'm going after, on the goals, on why I want it. But I'm going to have to be somewhat flexible on the how. And this is what people don't always grasp. The reason you got to be flexible on the how, because you're not the only one who gets a vote. So when it comes, I, I might need to make some adjustments because as I'm going towards my goal, different things come up. But this is what the plan of action is your everyday drills, man. It's what you do day in and day out. Man, there's a video. You bring, uh, A friend of mine, who, who he's, uh, he owns an uh, 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 automotive group uh, out in Minneapolis. And he was in Montana. This was last year. He was out in Montana. Uh, and, you know, it was one of the only places where you could go where, you know, the COVID restrictions weren't as high. <laughs> but anyhow, he was out there. And he sent a video to me. This video. Real talk, Jim. It's no surprise. It was somebody out there with shoulder pads and a helmet on by themselves throwing footballs to this this little cardboard cut not even cut out it was at this distance man he got closer it was tom brady no way yes real talk tom brady was in montana he was getting his daily workout in by himself now keep in mind this was before they just went to won the super bowl in tampa this is before he was getting that kind of time in now what I, I sit there and go, man, if, just think, he's doing that. He's that prepared. He's earned that. There's a certain level of success we want because we's like, man, I deserve that. But people don't realize what the word deserve means. The word deserve means of service, right? Like, like I put the time in when no one was looking. And as a result, this is the kind of outcome I got. But more importantly, he wasn't just locked on to the results he was going after. 
Man, my man was locked on to the process itself. Man, as godly men, if we can own the process, if we can own the, I mean, bruh, if I just do the work with my brothers, accountability with my brothers, daily devotion with my brother, it changes everything. Now that's so powerful, man. And man, Tom Brady, who would have thought that? I mean, I guess I'm not surprised. That's what the great ones do, but that is so impressive. Now, yep. you, so we, we're, we've gone through the first quarter, second quarter, third quarter, fourth quarter. And I, I want to go back to the very beginning of the podcast. And you said, uh, you said you, you may get there, but you never stay there. And you talked about greatness. You're moving. You're, it's, it's not static. And so when we look at your first four quarters, these four quarters, and we look at them from a cyclical standpoint, it seems to me that there's somewhere hidden in there a fifth quarter. And this isn't in your book, but we've talked about it already. And that, and, and that fifth quarter is at some point we got to, that cycle needs to go back and benefit our circle of influence. So talk to us about how a man who goes through these four quarters turns and is an asset to the world. Man, I, I like to say it this way, Jim, if this defines it perf perfectly. Our goal, our goal should be um, for every one of us to become inspired practitioners. Ooh, our, yeah. Our, our ability to inspire others is based on what we actually practice. So my belief in what I'm doing continuously grows because I get to practice and see it happening. And so, yeah. man, none of the things we're doing are is for us. Even in the book, I use I use an oak tree as an example, right? And I was like, I want to go from an acorn to an oak tree. But the benefit of becoming an oak tree is that, man, I'm full of more acorns. And so, the oh. primary uh, my greatness isn't it's good that you may fulfill your or you experience more of your potential. But it becomes great when you become a facilitator of others' greatness coming out. Others being able to fulfill their potential. And that's what the process is. I think it was John Maxwell who said it best. He goes, a, a leader's success is when a leader creates successors, right? And I think a real man's success is when he able to influence and influence other real men. And so we as men, we're visual, man. We need to see examples. We need to see people doing it, living it. And when I talk about living it in an example, I'm not talking about everybody has to be charismatic and on stage. And talk. I'm just talking about real talk. Real recognizes real. I can I see when I see the real deal. I can tell, yeah. man. And and that's the goal. I, when we talk about moving the grade, right? And the key word is moving, right? It's constantly changing. Every single time I move in that direction. Man, I don't go alone. I take what's around me with me. And this is what's so powerful when we do it this way. God is good, man. I, he is so good to us, and he uses everything we go through. But I, I believe in what it says in Revelation, man. We all overcome, every one of us. We overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the power of our testimony. Every one of us has a story uh, that will influence, impact, and inspire those around us. Well, you said something there, and I want to repeat it to our men. You said, and, and I'm I'm glad I asked this last question, Eric, because moving it's progressive, it's never static, and then greatness is never solo. You said this, and I'm going to close on this today. You said I you said this. You said I take what's around me with me, and that is the embodiment of greatness. And so, Eric, man, thank you so much for coming on this show, guys. Here's your boots on the ground today. I want you to physically write down each of the questions in each of the four quarters and 
answer them honestly, and ask your wife if you were honest. <laughs> so I think that's going to – and then, guys, hey, Eric, how can our guys pick up your book, man? Oh, man, you know what? Uh, 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 and now let me be clear. I thought we were just informed that our, all the ones in Amazon, I guess this is a good prop, have sold out, uh, which is awesome. Uh, but you can go to our website, ericbowles.com or – the game changers inc.com and yep. then my i got i got great team great project managers and they get that book right over to you so they, they people can order it right from there and i would say if you are a guy who owns a business you want to get your people motivated i would say check out eric's website that is his sweet spot and when starbucks hires him i think he's good enough for you too so <laughs> <laughs> Thank eric you, thanks so friend. much for coming on the show man and so dale uh, drive us home brother yeah, guys, we want you to head on over to meninarena.org and pick up your copy of Jim's newest book, Strong Men, Dangerous Times. And uh, while you're there, also, we'd love for you to just send us a, a email at info at meninarena.org and let us know your hero stories, how God has impacted your life through this ministry and changed you and helped you to lead your families. Until next time, fill the wet sand on the arena floor. Hear the deafening roar of the crowd. Taste the sweetness of victory. Smell the stench of battle. Get in the game. Get dirty. Grind it out. And be a man. You've been listening to the Men in the Arena podcast. If you hunger to be your best version, then join thousands of men from around the world in our Men in the Arena forum on Facebook. This is the best place to have open discussions around the topic of biblical manhood. Make sure to explore our website at meninthearena.org, sign up for the weekly equipping blast, and take advantage of our many free resources designed to help you become your best version of a man. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Men in the Arena podcast. Remember, when a man gets it, Everyone wins. What type of dad are you? Guys, in my 35 years of ministry, I've noticed that guys basically fall into two categories. And in those categories, there are four types of dad or four phases that you pass through as a dad. We just dropped an amazing quiz to help you discover what type of dad you are. Find out what type of father you are and get our custom resources fit to meet the needs and the questions you are asking. Head on over to menarena.org. Join 20,000 men from around the world and find out the type of dad you are.